10, 9, ignition sequence start, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The Treehouse of Liberty podcast is hosted by Jason Fornwald and comes to you from the bright red corner of the bright blue state of Maryland. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into another episode of the Treehouse of Liberty podcast. I am your host, Jason Fornwald, and thank you ever so much for deciding to join me once again. You may have noticed that I basically took the month of August off, um, and that was just because I've been so frustrated with the way things are going in this country right now. Um, What I'm seeing on our streets, as far as I'm concerned, is domestic terrorism, plain and simple. Terrorism is using violence to affect political change. That is precisely what we're seeing. And I just have a really hard time tolerating the fact that we actually have terrorism in our streets and nobody's doing a thing about it. Um, But for this show, I've decided to bring Chris Blakeman back, and and there's a couple of reasons for this. One, Chris asked, um, (laughs) and that's something that you guys can do at any time. If you want to be on the show, all you have to do is drop me a line and let me know. Be glad to have you at any point. Um, Two, Chris knows me well. Um, And he's pretty good at keeping me cool when things kind of get a little bit out of control. Um, And three, I I really like the perspective that he comes at pretty much every event that ever happens with. Um, He is very much a constitutionalist, very well-versed in history. I know you guys enjoyed Chris the last time that he was here from the uh, listens to the podcast. We're absolutely through the roof, and I suspect that'll happen again. Um, The guy is just phenomenal, and I hope you enjoy getting a chance to listen to him again. So sit back. You know you don't even have to kick your shoes off before you put put your feet on the table here in the Treehouse of Liberty. Ladies and gentlemen, it's good to have you again. Here's Chris. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is my high honor and distinct privilege, and I am being completely genuine when I say that, to welcome in a good friend of mine, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you've heard him before, Mr. Chris Blakeman. He's somebody who I have a lot of respect for, who is able to come at basically anything that happens in this country from a constitutional and rational perspective. Um, not to say that he doesn't get upset about some things like I do. He does, and I actually respect that. Uh, that's something that we were talking about before we came on on air is how we handle things you know, between each other as opposed to on the show. You know, here we kind of try to tone things down a little bit, come at it from a more professional perspective, certainly have the emotions still involved, um, but try to give you something that's that's worthwhile to listen to. And like I say all the time, you know, I don't even want to hear my voice for an entire half hour all the time. And so, like I say, Chris, I am so privileged to welcome you back in. And thank you so much for coming back, sir. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I wish we had some more positive topics that we could talk about, but I guess, you know, we we would kind of be remiss and almost derelict if we didn't talk about the state of the country right now, whether it's, you know, the burning, the looting, the riots. You know, I read a story today where, you know, it it might have been a tweet that you shared. If it wasn't, it was somebody else on Facebook that I'm close to um, actually shared a tweet, a video of Antifa protesters walking through the streets of American City chanting death to America. You know, it's like, where are we? How do we deal with this? Well, I mean, America is built on pretty much the foundation of 
couple of different things, but one of them most specifically is law and order. This is literally why people give up everything they have to attempt to break into the country. It's, our version of law and order is so much uniquely better than everyone else's. How do we deal with this? Honestly, the left has it all wrong. They're using this for uh, a cudgel against Trump, which is just pathetic. It's so ridiculously pathetic. But how do we deal with it? We we use the justice, or we let the injustice, we let the justice system enact the way it's supposed to, and it won't happen until some of these leftist mayors and governors allow that to happen. That is how we handle it. That's the correct way. The, uh, the the emotional way of handling it is what we saw or what we're going to see more of if we stop soon. Right. Yeah, and, and it's funny to me, how, well, not funny, but it, it's it's odd to me that all of a sudden when a uh, a white male conservative you know, trying to protect a business, you know, gets chased down, clubbed with a skateboard, you know, has other people closing in on him, you know, he fires a couple of shots. And now all of a sudden, you know, that is the story for a week. You know, this this white guy who's a Trump supporter, you know, who crossed the state line, which is actually legal to do, by the way. Um, but, you know, they're they're criticizing this guy and they're trying to attach him to Trump. And meanwhile, there's absolutely no effort uh, by the Democrat propaganda machine, also known as our media, um, to connect any of what's happening to Democrats and to the leftist movement and to Joe Biden. You know, I mean, it's it's no secret that those people out there, they're not conservatives. They're not Trump supporters, you know. And yet when we have this one incident, you know, we're going to, oh, here's this white guy, you know, Trump supporter, you know, cross state lines with a gun, you know, oh, Everybody on the right's terrible, and this is what they're out there to do. Meanwhile, our cities are burning down across the country. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is telling us that, well, people have to loot because that's the only way they can eat. You know, I, I don't know about you, my friend. I mean, I, I could put away some food, but I've never <laughs> eaten a big screen TV. I, I've never no. eaten a pair of Air Jordans. You know, I mean, it's, it's, does it bother you as much that those same connections aren't made? Hilarious that you uh, say that. That's funny. Uh, I saw a great meme today. It said, when the mainstream media supports you, you are no longer the resistance. Okay. So this is this is such a, a broad issue that, that you see even um, amongst uh, the, the, the athletes and so on. Um, you know, you're pandering to the lowest common denominator. What I chuckle about to myself is, is how many of these people actually vote, let alone who do they vote for? So, and so you see these governments buckling to the, um, <clears throat> to the Black Thug Martyrs Club and the, um, the uh, Marxist-related groups. And to what gain? To what end? What do they think they're actually going to get? Because the majority of the nation, even if they're a not-so-mentally-disturbed citizen, you're not going to stand in line and, and vote for the party that won't condemn the violence. 
Right. Or maybe it will, but that's a shame on you. But these are not how they're how they're managing to paint these these um, law-abiding citizens uh, uh, as uh, the hate mongers and stuff like that. It's to deflect. They're deflect. This is all Stalinsky stuff. This is you know blame the enemy for exactly what you're doing. And you know as, as Hillary Clinton would say, it's only the fight. You know, and as in, in Stalinsky is uh, a radical, you know, homegrown terrorist. And, and, and it's just going to bring about some real truths in this country that a lot of people aren't particularly going to enjoy. And that is there are enough of us who have been waiting around a long time for the opportunity to set up tyranny. And we all thought it was going to be our government. Well, apparently, Marxism is here. And I'm just fine taking it out on them because I would be a tyrannical government. Right. No, I completely agree. And it's it's interesting that you point out that the other side is accusing conservatives of what they're doing. And it's, it seems like it's been that way throughout Trump's entire presidency. Um, it's like in the very beginning, they accused Trump of colluding with Russia. Well, we come to find out, you know, that Hillary Clinton paid Christopher Steele to compile a false dossier using Russian agents. You know, they, they impeached him for an alleged quid pro quo in Ukraine. We come to find out that Joe Biden admitted wholeheartedly to a quid pro quo in Ukraine. You know, and it's like right down the line, you know, they are doing precisely what they accuse up accuse us of doing. And if they're accusing us of those things, then they think they're horrible. So they know what they're doing is horrible. You know, because they're trying to paint us in a bad light by saying that we're doing the things that they are. So it's like if you're using that to make us look bad, then you know what you're doing is bad. You know, so it's a, it's a conscious decision. It's not a it's not an idealistic movement, you know, where everybody's thinking it's going to be sunshine and roses and we're going to have this perfect country for everybody. It's like they know what they're doing if they're using those things against us. It just doesn't make sense. Well, they're reprobate. I think – Overall, I think there's an attempt here for a hostage situation. Because I think what the, the seed that is trying is that they're trying to plant and sow is that if you vote for Joe, all this will disappear. This is this is one effect of Trump being the president. Well, there's a couple of times that you can go down the road and I can support this, but we have a short show. But the Ultimately, I don't think that these anarchists really are as organized with a particular political party. I honestly think they want to see the whole damn circus come to a crashing halt. They don't care if it's a leftist in office or a Trump in office. They're bent on the destruction of this country by none. So, uh, reprobates. We'll just that's what they are. They know what they're doing is wrong. It goes against all of our morals. And it, 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 I don't see how it could possibly succeed. It's a horrible tactic. Not in a world, this is one of the greatest information ages that we've ever lived through. Not in a world where you can reach out and get the truth. All you have to do is search for it. Right. So it's just it's barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, their hearts. I've 
<laughs> That's a southern expression, folks. And if you're not familiar with it, it means you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, in all honesty, that, that's something that I've I've kicked around before because you know when you think about it, we have every piece of public information on planet Earth in our pockets. We carry it around with us everywhere we go. It's the last thing we check at night. It's the first thing we pick up in the morning. You know, and here we are sending cat memes and, you know, other dumb stuff. And I, I often wonder what our founders would have done with the technology that we have and the information that we have access to. You know, I mean, these were guys that if the book wasn't on the shelf, you know, they didn't have access to it. You know, newspapers sometimes took a week or more to get to them. By, by then, whatever has happened has already happened. And we've seen that to some extent in our own lives. I mean, you know, you and I are both in our 40s, and, you know, our parents certainly got newspapers when we were growing up, and I got Sports Illustrated back in the day, and, you know, it was a great thing. But now it's like so many of those things have become irrelevant because of the technology that we do have. How do you think that those gentlemen who sat in that sweltering hall in Philadelphia in 1776, how do you think they would have used the technology and the tools and the information that we have now? Well, as a knee-jerk reaction to that question, I would uh, our Bill of Rights and our declaration uh, our would have been a hell of a lot more specific on a lot of different levels. For instance, there would have been something in there about having a 30-round magazine capability. And, you know, there would have been greater, more stressful uh, verbiage about shall not friends. <laughs> they, 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 they lived in a time where words meant something. And, 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 and it was a simpler time, of course, but them, they were technologically advanced at the time. Right. So oh, that's such a tough question, a great question, but I do think that the verbiage would have been much more drastic would have been uh, a lot of detail, a lot more detail given to what they were saying, what they were, what they were penning. And, and in the first, it would have been, you know what? A hell of a lot more difficult in that time period to get everybody to agree to, to rebel against the king. Because information would travel so quickly, uh, I guess we should feel blessed that, that it, it wasn't today that we're doing all this because uh, disinformation can travel just as quickly as information. So, oh my God, I'd love to have an awesome answer for that. That's the best I could do, but I can say this. I'm awfully glad it happened when it did. Right. Because I don't think, I don't think the dissenting voices have been in the background as much as they were when the declaration was presented yeah i think that's true and i think too you know you look at our childhood this place was entirely different you know i mean it's like we were raised you stand with pride and you say the pleasure of allegiance at school you know you stand with pride and you put your hand over your heart whenever the flag passes you in a parade you know you do the same thing if you go to a high school football game and a high school band comes out on the field and presents like you treat it the same way and I honestly I'm getting chills right now talking about that because those things like you are so important to me and it's like from our media to our 
educational system and please understand folks when i talk about the education system i am not talking about good teachers i'm talking about administrators i'm talking about curricula that are being used you know i i have the utmost respect for teachers you know i, I feel like they're like police officers you know they do an incredibly difficult job they do it extremely well yes there's a bad one here and there but that is not the norm um but the way we were raised is entirely different from how kids are being raised now it's if you don't want to stand for the pledge you don't have to you know you're not allowed to say a prayer in school you're not allowed to kneel with your coach after a football game and say a prayer you know and i'm not saying everybody has to our god or any god or you know no god at all but i think the the values and the things that we were raised to care about and the things that we were raised to have a certain level of reverence for are just gone and our culture now is teaching that that's okay. Is that okay? Can that be okay? Can we be successful when that's okay? No, we can't. By and large, this, this nation was built on not only the honor system, but it was also built on the merits of values and virtue being the big one. What we've witnessed over our uh, mature adulthood is uh, the secular degeneration of this country. You know, we, we, we watched the injection of leftism slowly erode away the values and principles that founded this nation. Uh, we didn't do the argument about religion because some of our founders were not religious men. That's okay. Right. But by and large, the, the liberties and the, the liberties that are written in our Declaration and our Bill of Rights that, that Give, give us what we, what we have today or what they're trying to take away from us today. When you look at it, and slowly eroding because we have officially, we should be able to say it from the mountaintop, we lost the Cold War. And the left infiltrated this country starting after World War II. And they bleak, they bleak this ideology, this secular ideology, of Marx and Hegel and Lenin, and they keep lipstick on that pig, and new iterations of it keep popping. But the desensitized nature of our youth is nothing compared to we were growing up. And we took a lot of things for granted growing up. You just stood for the flag. Right. There was no debate. Right. It was you had one or two kids that maybe were from a foreign country in your classroom that didn't stand for the flag or or whatever. I did in Catholic school. We had a an Iranian kid who didn't stand for the flag. Well, he was an Iranian kid. Right. You know, he's not even American. So who cares? But by and large, took for granted is is no longer able to take for granted anymore. It, it's it's a fight, and it's absolutely absurd. It really is. And it, I've gotten to the point where I wonder, and I hate to think this way, I hate to admit that I think this way, you know exactly what's coming because we've talked enough about it. I've gotten to the point where I started to wonder if the current situation in this country can be resolved without some form of street-to-street -street combat. I don't want to see that happen. I have never wished for that to happen. 
Um, but these are people that no matter what happens, no matter what concessions are made, no matter what they get, they're not going to be satisfied. I mean, you look at the NFL, and I know this is a ridiculous example with everything that's going on right now. But you look at the NFL, and they're going to have, you know, end racism and I forget what the other slogan is that's going to be in the other end zone. You know, they're going to have, you know, you're allowed to put the name of any black person that's been killed by a police officer on your helmet and all this stuff. You know, you look at the NBA, they put Black Lives Matter on the court. Okay. You know, the, the NBA, I think, is a little different. You know, I think the NBA is more geared towards black culture to start with. I mean, certainly there are white fans. And, you know, I was a big fan when I was in high school. I was a big Knicks fan. Um, but, you know, you look at these societal concessions that are being made, you know, where we are singling out one race and saying, okay, you know, to hell with everything that we thought before, you know, to hell with what the Constitution says. We're going to single you out and you're now special. You know, and it still doesn't make any kind of a difference. And I'm certainly not saying this is an entirely black movement. It might have started there. Um, but then you throw in Antifa, you throw in, you know, to be perfectly honest, suburban white women make up a big part of this movement, which is interesting to me, to say the least. Um, but it's like, what what can we do? Short of going into the streets with them, what can we do to make this stop? Well, you hit on quite a few, so I'm going to try to take them all as succinctly as possible. One, as long as uh, ELM continues to lionize and, and murder uh, thugs and, and, and dregs of society, it will have uh, zero positive impact on anyone's uh, <clears throat> virtue. It won't. They're, they're, they're fooling themselves. They're absolutely fooling themselves. To uh, the, the idea of American versus American is um, it's revolting and it should be. It's also becoming more and more a reality. It will be uh, it will be a, a drastic move in parts of the country where desperation will begin to set in. Uh, can it happen? I think it will. I think there are lots of guys are way gung-ho about this, and I'm very nervous about certain people who are actually on board with let's do this now and rip it off like a Band-Aid, because that's where you get um, irrational um, rational, uh, advances. And, and, and you can make arguments for why you can understand why they did certain things, but we do need to let it play out a little bit because the left is going to try to paint this as a race war, even though there are plenty of blacks who are on the right and plenty of whites on the left, and there are a disparity there between the blacks and whites on right and the left. But uh, you're absolutely right about the women. That just tells you how uh, a lot of these people are and how they've been raised. Uh, to have um, no real knowledge of American history, and they believe pretty much everything they've been told, and unfortunately, they take no time to actually speak out the truth. I have these arguments all the time. Uh, I hit the person that I'm disagreeing with with a lot of history to help them understand the sacrifices that were made to create the environment that we have today, of spitting on their grave because 
So all that uh, is going on right now, greater men have come before us. And I think MLK is spinning like a rotisserie chicken in his grave because this was not his message. Amen. And we learned a lot from from the 60s, and, and, and even though we weren't alive then, we grew up without any sort of real malice in our hearts because people were making a very bad argument for themselves, which is a uh, cannonball effect down a hill of snow because now you're creating racism. And for both uh, major melanin in this country, there are plenty of whites who are starting to really resent, I'm not particularly one of them, they're starting to resent the idiocy that's being presented to us, and the people kind of just fuel to the fire for the anarchist folks that are trying to hijack this whole movement. And the NFL, they're making a horrible business decision, and I hope they go bankrupt. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's... I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm certainly not much of a businessman, but you know, if I'm running a business, I am certainly not going to deliberately alienate 70% of my potential customer base. Um, right. Just doesn't seem like a very good idea. Um, uh, the the hood doesn't buy season tickets. Right. I'm sorry, they just don't. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I'll tell you, you mentioned it, and that's one of the things that I really, one of the many things that I really respect about you is that when you approach modern situations, you do it from a position of deep understanding of our founding, deep understanding of why we had a civil war, how that was played out, what the result of that has been, how we've grown from there, you know, understanding of, like you mentioned, Dr. King, um, you know, who was someone, you know what, it's hard for me to really grasp, and, and this is going to sound patronizing, I swear to God it's not. It's hard for me to grasp how a man who was experiencing true oppression, who was truly a second-class citizen, you know, when black people were being blasted with fire hoses and having dogs turned loose on them for absolutely no reason, who weren't allowed to exist in the same, you know, the same restaurant who were using different water fountains and bathrooms. You know, we're talking about real oppression back then. How can someone like that swear to a doctrine? Well, he didn't swear to it. He's a Christian man. But how, how can he commit to a doctrine of total nonviolence and stand by it when the oppression is that real? I mean, it, it just blows I, I can answer that. Please. I can answer that. And it's precisely the reason why we have a moral and societal breakdown today. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was raised by one of the most virtuous and morally correct and strong fathers that a young boy could ask for. His father was so instrumental in every single aspect of his life. And what do we have in the inner city? Thank you, Joe Biden and Bill Clinton, for your excellent job with things like the crime bill, where you take a guy that's got a fucking, I'm sorry, a dime bag of marijuana, you put him in jail for 10 years, you take him away from his family, he can't support them, he can't teach his kids right and wrong, and you have a breakdown of a nuclear family and it just branches out from there. Right. Martin Luther King Jr. 
was brought up by a very strong father. That's the answer to that. And I, I look at it too, you know, it, it may not be the same type of issue that is removing fathers, and I'm making a very broad generalization here. It may not be the same issue that's removing white fathers from their kids' lives, but that's happening also. You know, I mean, 86% of the time when full custody is awarded in the United States, it goes to the mother. You know, and I understand that mothers have a connection that we fathers can't. We try like hell, but, you know, that's something that we'll never get to. But there are many, many, many white kids growing up without fathers in the home, too. And I think that combination could be part of what starts to lead to, you know, what we're what we're seeing in the the suburban communities. Like I said, white women seem to, you know, really be a big part of, of you know, the people that are supporting what's going on right now. Um, and that's that's a, that's an interesting point that you make because I've considered you know fathers not being in the home in other contexts, but since you mentioned that, I, I really think it does make a lot of sense that it's a, a big part of what we're seeing now. Well, I think with the, the Caucasian demographic, it, what we're seeing now is the result of instant gratification culture. You're, you're seeing over the last thirty, forty years. Uh, microwave dinners, instant microwave dinners, uh, you know, TV on demand, cable TV, everything easy. It's fast and loose. Oh, that woman's not working out for me. I'll just go find me another woman. Or this is too hard. I'm not going to stick with it. I'm just going to bail and roll out and to hell with everything I started. You know, there is there there is a complete breakdown in <clears throat> accountability and culpability. Right. And it's almost applauded. There's a particular political party that needs a a uh, permanent underclass, yeah. and this is how you do it. You applaud the broken home. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know exactly where you grew up, but I know that, that here where I did, you know, if someone's parents got divorced, it was like the news of the century. I mean, that was something that just didn't happen back then. And, and divorce is so accessible and so easy, you know, and, and marriage is looked at so lightly these days, you know, which, of course, that should be, I think, the foundation of any good nuclear family. You know, it, it's so easy to just say the hell with this. You know, I'm I'm tired of making the effort and, you know, I, I choose to quit and take my kids and, you know, that's the end of it. Um, yeah, it, It's like... It, the more I look at the problem, the bigger it becomes. You, you mentioned the analogy of the snowball rolling down the hill a little bit ago. You know, I, I kind of feel like that's where we are as a society. It's like as soon as you start to look at Antifa and Black Lives Matter and their sympathizers, it expands out to, okay, why does this happen? You know, and that expands out into another problem. And it just seems so completely overwhelming to try to tackle it. You know, right, I'm, but if you want to, if you want a ray of sunshine, uh, the data is there to support that every time the pendulum swings too far to the left, it always comes back with a passion to the right, and and, and that not that is not particularly a political statement. There is there's always a counterculture, and I think we are in the genesis stage of. A, a true-to-life counterculture to secularism. 
and you see it you see it a little bit in in Europe um, when when you see a little bit more nativism. Nativism isn't a horrible term. You know, open borders is a horrible term. Right. Uh, when you're trying to be a one world society, um, you can't. That means you have to oppress somebody else for the benefit of an outsider, if you will. So I, I do believe that this is what you get when you have an Obama for eight years. You get a Trump, and whether you like everything about him or not. It's hard to argue with this. It's hard to argue with his policies. Right. It's hard to argue with his outcomes, and there is a counterculture there. And I do believe, I have hope that it will come back. Now, it may come back in the form of some retaliatory violence. That's to be seen. Right. Right. You know, one of the things that's encouraging to me too, and I think you're absolutely right about the the pendulum. You know, we have not had an incumbent president lose since George H.W. Bush in 1992. So I am hoping that will hold true to form because and, – and it's not just for me. I mean, yes, his policies have benefited me. But if you're an African-American, guess what? You experienced your lowest unemployment all time. You experienced your highest ranking on the prosperity list all time. You've seen a higher commitment to HBCUs than you ever have all time. You know, he's enacted uh, sentencing reform. He's enacted police reform. So it's like it's not like this guy just got in there and said, oh, wow, you know, I, I was elected by a bunch of white conservative men, and that's who I'm going to serve while I'm here. I mean, it's like he truly has not only tried to make things better for everyone, he's actually accomplished it. But it's like more so than his rival. Go ahead. I'm sorry. More so than his rival. Oh, absolutely. Trump, Trump gets to run on, look at my accomplishments for you. Now, the other guy has been in the business for 47 years. Tell me, I'll wait. What has he done for you? And yeah. That really needs to be a focal point into the, into the conversations at home. What has he done for you? You know, saying, oh, he ran with Obama. Oh, good. So the one thing you get to hang your hat on with Obama is we finally got a black president. Right. What did he do? What did Biden do for you? So black America should really think long and hard about if we are finally going to have a situation where we get to say we have a choice between this guy who has given us more than anybody else in office, and then this guy who's running on what he says he will do for us, but he hasn't done anything in 47 years, the, the, the options are laid bare, and, and, and the choice is pretty obvious if, if you can get past the fact that one guy has an R attached to his name and one guy has a D attached to his name. Unfortunately, think are so shackled to the plantation that they're going to vote somebody just because. Right. You know, and it's, and Biden gets away with, you know, when he was first introduced to Obama, you know, here's the first mainstream African-American who's bright and articulate and clean. It's like, for, yeah, how can you even Think about using the word clean. You can say if you want to, he's more articulate than any African-American I've ever seen. Okay, great. That's a nice compliment. 
I think he'd be wrong, but it's still a nice compliment. You throw clean in there? Are you kidding me? Is you, that an insult to Hiram Rebels? Oh, dear God. Is that, is, that, is that an insult to Maxine Waters? She's been around since dirt was invented. Eat. You know, I guess Obama was the first one that used our soap. Yeah. No, and, and the thing is, too, you know, I mean, if uh, if Ivanka would go get her hair done right now, she would be the immortal enemy. But, you know, Pelosi can go do that, and it's fine. You know, it's like the battle lines are so drawn along party lines, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, well, in, the, in, in the immortal words of the great Chris, Chris Plant, if it weren't the double standards, the left would have no standards. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, give me give me back the days where right was right and wrong was wrong. I mean, am I am I really asking for too much? I'm begging you. <laughs> I'm begging uh, ladies you. and gentlemen, Mr. Christopher Blakeman. Chris, it is always such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for giving me your time. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed getting to see Chris again. Uh, spoiler alert, you probably will hear him again after this. Hey, Chris, thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. I got your six anytime you need me. And I've got yours. And so that's going to do it for another episode of the Treehouse of Liberty podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for a little bit of your time this week. Time is the most precious commodity that we have. And you giving me 30 minutes out of your week is more than I could ever ask for, and I'm extremely grateful for that. I'm also incredibly grateful for Chris Blakeman, again, taking the time to join the show once again. Love getting a chance to talk to this guy anytime, on air, off air, or anything in between. Um, I really like the wisdom that he shares, and again, coming at everything from such a constitutional basis. I mean, I get an education when I talk to him, and I'm a constitutionalist myself. Uh, So, Chris, thank you once again. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like time on the podcast, it is yours. This is not my show. This is our show. Uh, I'd like to hear from all of you at any point that I can. You can come on the show. You can send me something to read on the show. Whatever you would like to do and in whatever format. You can reach me a couple of different ways. I am on Twitter at Treehouse1776, at Treehouse1776. You can also find us on Facebook, the Treehouse of Liberty podcast, oddly enough. Um, and we do have the new email address as well, treehouseoflibertymedia at gmail.com, treehouseoflibertymedia at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you guys. Thank you so much for being here, and we'll talk to you soon.